So last week we talked about Rahab, and I want to kind of start there before we get into our um, primary text here. Um, we talked about Rahab, and I wanted to remind you guys of the things we talked about last week. Um, right standing with God comes through choices, not circumstance. Now, it was Jesus' choice to sacrifice himself for us, and then our choice to respond to that love. And then the last thing we talked about was we're all called to be a part of a community full of love. Encourages one another towards love and good works. That's what we talked about this week, and I want to kind of pick up there um, in the book of Joshua. Uh, But I want to preface this teaching first. It's not going to be our kind of typical chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse kind of Sunday morning. It's going to be a little bit more topical, which is not normal for those of you who are visiting here. Um, But I think it's going to be worthwhile. So we're going to pick up in Joshua, and we pick up kind of after the stories that we talked about last week. And at this point in the story, the Israelites have kind of taken over the promised land, and Joshua's aged, and he's kind of giving his last wisdom, his last advice to the elders of Israel. So we pick it up in Joshua twenty four fourteen. It says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua, I think, had an idea that it would not be easy for the families of Israel to stay on target serving the Lord. And I think that we would all agree that it's not easy in 2017 to keep our families pointed on target serving the Lord. And so I want to kind of unpack what it looks like today to lead our families into service of the Lord through worship. And I would argue that the beginning of service to the Lord starts with worship in our homes. And so today what I want to talk about is family worship. Now I want to be clear with you guys this morning though, as we study this together, it's not an exhaustive study on the topic. Um, We don't have a whole month to go through it. Um, I'm not an expert by any means. Um, But my experience is, uh, had given me some insight into that. I teach high school science, so I'm around children all day, and I can kind of see a pattern of development. And so I want to kind of share some of those insights with you guys today. Um, and my goal this morning is to start a conversation within our church that can be carried into our after-service fellowship time and into our community groups and our at-the-table groups Um, And I want us to be able to carry that conversation forward, to talk about what it looks like um, to grow in our understanding of family worship. And my goal is to encourage you guys and to empower you to carry out the mission of this church, as laid out in our vision, to teach, equip, and send. And so I'm hoping that the Lord works in those ways this morning, and that you will feel taught, equipped, and sent this morning. Um, I want to point out a resource with you where I'm drawing a lot of my material from. Hans has mentioned it. I know that a lot of you guys have picked it up. You can see my wife's bookmark there. 
Um, it's called Family Worship. Pretty straightforward title. Um, I would encourage all of you to pick it up and read it. It's only 75 pages. So you'll spend less time reading it than you will scrolling through social media this week. So pick it up, read it. Okay. The plus side is, too, when you're done reading, you'll be less upset than if you spent an hour on social media. So that's the, that's the side bonus. Um, I want to give you guys an outline of the things I want to talk about today. So three questions. You can write these down, and we're going to address them in order. What is family worship? Why do we need it? I'm going to spend kind of the bulk of the teaching today arguing why it's important. And then how do we do it practically? Give you guys a second to write those down. So before we start, I want us to do just a little bit of self-evaluation here. You can kind of see I've got it broken up into four different quadrants on the board here. What is family worship? So now what I want you to do is to take a look at these categories, and I'll read them out. And I want you to kind of think in your own practice, in your own families. Okay, maybe you're single, so in your personal life. Maybe you're married and don't have kids, so you and your spouse. What is family worship? You know what it is and have implemented it in your family. You know what it is but have not implemented it with your family. You don't know what it is but have consistent intentional worship time with your family. Or lastly, you don't know what it is and don't have consistent intentional worship time with your family. So I want you to take just a few seconds here, really think where you would place yourself. And so my goal this morning is that we would all be moving closer and closer to the upper left category, that we know what it is. That's my job, if you don't know, to teach you what it is. And then to implement it. Okay, let's move on to the first question. So, what is family worship? This is my kind of operational definition of what it is practically. The intentional gathering of the family to honor Jesus through the sharing of Scripture, singing, and prayer. The intentional gathering of the family to honor Jesus by sharing Scripture, singing, and praying together. Pretty simple. Not saying it's easy, but it's simple. Matthew Henry, a renowned Presbyterian minister in the 1700s, said that, says this. They that pray in the family do well. They that pray and read the scriptures do better. But they that pray and read and sing do best of all. Matthew Henry said that. And he's one of the main commentators that Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest evangelists of all times, used, drew on a lot of his things. And uh, in this book, Family Worship, they kind of outline a lot of the historical figures who have commented on family worship. So three things we're going to kind of unpack. We see in the scriptures the need for believers to be active in prayer, in studying the scriptures, and in singing. So let's consider a few um, passages here. 
Turn with me if you would. Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So you see, um, we're called to do those things. That's Paul's exhortation to the early church, to let the scriptures be a part of who we are, to pray and sing together. Um, Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18b, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So again, um, I don't know the last time that I went up to Ken in a very sing-songy way and said, Good morning, Ken. May the Lord bless you and keep you. But, I mean, that's what Paul says to do. And so... Now, I'm not expecting us to turn into like a musical church where it's like flash mob every Sunday and we all just start breaking out in song. But again, we're, we're admonished and encouraged to sing praise to the Lord. And a very practical way that we can do that is with our family so we don't embarrass ourselves in public. Um, and if you think it's just Paul that had this kind of musical twinge, um, take a look. Matthew... 26, Matthew 26. Again, uh, you guys, this is kind of just a survey. It's not an exhaustive list. Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26, Jesus is getting ready to die. And he has the last supper with his disciples. And he announces to them that one of them is going to betray him. And he gives them the Lord's Supper as a gift to remember him. And then it says this in verse 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They prayed together, they studied the Scriptures, and then they sang. That's Jesus doing it. Jesus doing it is probably pretty important. You see, worshiping the Lord through song was so important, even Christ concluded his family worship time with singing. Um, here are a couple other references for you to look up on prayer. I'm not going to go through them, but you can write these down just for the sake of time. Matthew 6, 5-13, through 13, that's the Lord, Lord's Prayer. Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Operative word there being when you pray, it's a given that you're going to do it. Um, Philippians 4, 6, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, submit your requests to God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. So we see in Scripture the need to be active in these three areas. So family worship is bringing these three things home, literally. So, why do we need it? Why is it so important? You see, according to Scripture, 
The primary function of families is to raise godly offspring. You can go ahead and write those references down. We're going to tackle two of them. Deuteronomy 6.4, Ephesians 6.4, Genesis 18.19. Again, not an exhaustive list, just a survey. I want you guys to understand that it's important. The primary goal as families is to raise children who love God and love each other. You can get that written down. Go ahead and turn with me to Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. Uh, sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You see, we need to be teaching our children diligently, it says, to follow the Lord. Diligently. This intimates a very active stance in engaging our children with worship of the Lord. It's active. It's not passive. We've got to be intentional about doing it. We have to be active in pursuing our children and letting them see the Lord at work in our own lives. In fact, it says this in Proverbs 29.15. Proverbs 29.15. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We've got to be active. We can't leave our children to their own devices. We've got to be active in pursuing them with worship of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, it's not a passive thing. It's not a if-you-feel-like-it kind of a thing. It's a we are commanded to do this. Bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, it's active. we got to be intentional about doing it. We're commanded to do it. You see, the matter is, the fact of the matter is, if we're not teaching our kids, someone or something else will. How do I know this? I spend 60 plus hours a week with high school students, many of whom have not been engaged by parents. And I see the brokenness in their life. And I see the destructive path that they're on. And my heart breaks for them. It really does. Because once they make it to high school, man, it's hard. They've got a lot of momentum going downhill. And it is hard to correct. And my prayer for you guys is that you start now. It's not too late if you have high schoolers. But especially you who have young families, start now. Engage those kids. 
You see, most of my students grow up in the midst of less than ideal circumstances. And most of them have never been told that they're loved. Or that someone died for them. Someone loved them enough and cared about them enough to sacrifice his life for them. That they are forgiven and that they are worthy. And so my heart for the children of mission is that they would all know that. That all of our little ones would know that they are loved and forgiven. Yes, that they would understand that they're broken just like we are. And that we wouldn't hide our sin from our kids. But that we would model reconciliation and healthy relationships for them in the midst of our homes. So that when they leave into the big scary world, they have some tools to cope with life because it's hard. The school where I teach at, it's a boarding school and we have kids coming from all over the country and we take these kids and it's kind of an interesting social experiment because we throw them all into a dorm together and shake them up and we expect them to be successful on a lot of different levels. And what I've observed, I've been there for six years now, and what I've observed is a lot of codependent relationships, a lot of substance abuse, a lot of fear, a lot of mistrust, a lot of brokenness. And my heart for kids in this church is that, man, they would trust their parents' love. Because a parent's love is really God's representation of himself to kids. That's why God commands us to show our kids what he's like. And we can't be, we can't be passive in that. We've got to be super active. It's got to be really intentional. Proverbs 22.6 says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, <clears throat> how many of you have a uh, TV jingle or a song from a movie or a TV show that you watched when you were a kid stuck in your head? You could think back right off the top of your head. Yeah, I know one. For me, it's the Andy Griffith theme song. You guys have heard it. Right? Now, I used to watch that show with my great-grandma. I associated that show with a lot of good family values. Right? It's an awesome show. But I was being trained at a young age that being a Christian was doing the right thing. Being nice. Now, don't get me wrong. Doing the right thing and being kind to other people are definitely part of it. But my hope and prayer for the families in this church is that we are real with each other. When we struggle, when we sin, repent before your children. Say, man, I screwed up, you guys. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Can we have unity again? We've got to model that for our kids. What I see from high schoolers is they get into a pattern of mistrust, and they get into a pattern of, it's me against the world, and they get into these relationships when there's tension and conflict, it's 
the nuclear option every time. It's the bing, relationship over. My heart for you guys is that we can live in unity with one another and we can raise kids who do an even better job than we do. It's a possibility. This isn't a fantasy land. This is the truth. It's not idealism. It's how hard do we want to work? And it breaks my heart even more so when I see kids within the community of the church. You see, my wife and I led Young Life for a couple years. We lead our high school group now. It breaks my heart to see kids in the context of the church who are just as broken. They come in with the same issue and the same baggage of kids outside the church. And it's because we haven't held each other accountable to that standard of do you worship God in your house? Do you organize your household well? Are you in your house serving the Lord? And I don't say that condescendingly at all, you guys. I come, I come this morning with a lot of humility and conviction and brokenness before you guys because I want to be the first to confess to you guys that I have not done a good job in my own family. I'm working towards it. But I want you guys to hear me that um, it's out of a place for love for the families in this church. I'm bringing you this message this morning. Um, You see, my wife and I just started being intentional, really, with our daughter about family worship time within the last month. And I could not be more convinced and convicted after studying for the last couple of weeks to give you guys this, this teaching, that the greatest gift we can give our children is to let them see what true worship looks like with consistency and intentionality in our model for them and to let them see what a genuine pursuit of unity with Christ and with his church looks like in the midst of our homes. I couldn't be more convicted of that. And here's where it really hit home for me last night as I was studying. I was up late, gotten home from a basketball game, sat down, put the last few slides together, sent them to Sarah Campbell. And I I told my wife, she's like, I'm tired, I'm going to go to bed. It's like, no, no worries, I'll be home, I'll be in bed shortly. Text me, hey, are you still alive out there? Do you fall asleep? And I text her back. I'm saying, no, the norm, just crying, <laughs> studying, doing some more crying, writing, you know, the usual things that happen in the Robinson household at midnight. Um, and here's where it really started to hit home for me. Uh, I asked myself this question. I said uh, to myself, if I'm not spending time worshiping God with my family, then what am I spending time worshiping? If I'm not spending time worshiping God with my family, what am I spending time worshiping? 
And there were a lot of answers that ran through my mind in that moment. I'm sure there's answers running through your mind as well. But that's when the words of Paul in Philippians 3 came rushing to my mind, along with a tissue box full of tears. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now again, I'm coming to you guys in in complete humility because here's what I thought. Here's what I thought. Whatever time I spent on social media, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of my children knowing Christ Jesus, their Lord. Whatever TV show I needed to watch, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of my children knowing Christ Jesus, their Lord. Whatever going to bed early time, parents, I know you can relate. Whatever going to bed early time I had, I count as lost. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, everything is a loss. For the surpassing worth of my children knowing that they are loved and forgiven and worthy of being called a child of the Most High King. Are we being intentional? Are we acting with intentionality towards our children, towards our families, towards our spouses, single people, towards your roommates, your close friends, grandparents, towards the young folks in the community, towards your children and your grandchildren? Are we being intentional? And you know, I've been so encouraged over the past month because of the examples that I've had in this church. Um, you guys have really inspired me to move ahead, to press forward, to press on, like Paul says. Because I haven't arrived yet. I'm not even close. But you guys have encouraged me to press on. And I had this conversation with the guys in my at-the-table group last month. And I sat down with David Rand last Sunday and we were talking. And it was encouraging to me because we were talking and we were discussing what an opportunity we have here at Mission to decide that our church is going to be a church that honors God in our families. I mean, you guys saw how many little kids are here. How many women are pregnant in our church. I think the comment that I heard this morning was, don't drink the water, you'll get pregnant. It's true. Not the water part. The water's safe. But we've got so many kids. We get the opportunity to be a church, and this is the conversation that David and I had, to decide what the norm is going to be. We get to set the culture in our community, right? Communities are identified by language, culture, religion. We get to set the community norms in our church. My heart for this church and I know the heart of a lot of you, is that we would be a church where it's normal to talk about Jesus in our homes. Now, if you guys are like me, I'm a high school teacher, so I'm high school science teacher, so I'm naturally just very awkward about everything. Uh, so it's not easy even for me to talk about Jesus with my two-year-old. 
Charlotte, do you know that Jesus loves you? Yeah. Charlotte, do you know that Daddy loves you? Yeah. I always feel like Charlotte that's, is that girl that doesn't want to commit, and I'm the overbearing boyfriend because I always tell her, Charlotte, do you know Daddy loves you? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll work with that. But it's true. I, I mean, I want it to be a place where we raise our kids and, and our kids say, yeah, we talk about Jesus all the time. Man, I wonder if, if my friend is talking about Jesus at their house too. You know what? I'm going to ask them. I'm going to have a conversation with my friend about Jesus and about what they're learning. Because if we can train them while they're young, even when they're old, they're not going to depart from it. Because it's hard for me to talk about my faith with my friends. It really is. But I want it to be easy for my child to do it. And I want to model that for them in my home. Now, I want to address two specific groups of people here. Um, grandparents. I know there's a few of you in the room. Yeah, high five yourself, grandparents. You guys made it that far. Nice job. And for those of you who maybe have grandparent age but don't have kids, this is for you also. The more seasoned folks, as I like to call them. Model for your adult children what a home centered on family worship looks like. You still have influence. And you have a great influence in this church because we are young. We are inexperienced. We don't know what's going on. You guys have the gift of experience and age. Model for us what a home centered on family worship looks like. We need you to. Invite your family. Invite families over to participate with you. Have them over. Encourage the young parents that you see to have conversations with their kiddos. Pray for us. You've been there. You've raised kids. We need prayer. This is my open invitation for for you to hold me accountable for raising my family centered on worship. Of Jesus. And I would hope in a spirit of humility and brotherly affection that all of us would be open to benefiting from the wisdom that only years can provide. Second group of people I want to address single adults. You guys don't get a free pass on family worship either. Here's my exhortation to you find a family here at church and join it. You don't have to live there. You don't have to move in. It doesn't have to be one of those Matt Foley, grab your gear, move in type of deals. But find a family. Find a a community group. Invest in them. Let them invest in you. Make worship time a daily part of your routine with your roommates. People in your home that you live with, do worship with them. So thankful for the model of the single adults in my life and the model that they've been to my child. You see, whenever Auntie Sarah comes over to our house, which is often, 
the first thing my child wants to do, Auntie Rara, sit Rara, read Rara Bible. She wants to go through the word with her auntie. She knows that that's what's important for her aunt. I'm so thankful. And every Thursday, when her Uncle Pat brings his guitar and plays and we sing together, off-key almost always, (laughs) but we sing, and when Pat stops playing, vigorously signing, Mo, Mo, sing, Uncle Pat, Mo, song, please. And it's modeled for her what a household full of worship looks like. Singing, reading of Scripture, prayer together. And I'm so thankful for the young folks that come over every Thursday who model for my child. Studying the Bible, being a part of community is important. So I'm so thankful for you guys. And I can't overstate this enough. Single folks, you are loved. You are valued. I can't overstate the impact that you guys have on this church. Okay. Waterworks over. Let's touch on the last thing. How? How do we practice it? Simple. Read God's Word together. Sing. Pray. Be intentional. Be consistent. It's not a magic formula. You don't have to do a lot of prep. It's just those three things. And again, that comes from the Scripture. That's God's commandment to us. We should be doing it. Sing, pray, read God's Word together. Be intentional. Be consistent. should take about 10 to 15 minutes. It's not a huge time commitment. My family, we do it right before bed. It's a great sleep cue. It's time to wind down. We're doing family worship time together. And it's not a huge commitment, but this is literally a life and death, eternal life and death scenario for your child. Personally, I'm not willing to let my child's eternal salvation and ability to live in unity with Christ and with others come down to whether or not I'm tired when I get home from work. And I'm telling you, I'm guilty of that. I do that. I'm saying I don't want to be that. So hold me accountable, please. And I want to give you guys a very practical tool here also for reading a piece of Scripture with your family. So we're going to go back, and I know this is kind of teachery. It's fine. Um, It's from an education researcher named Arthur Costa, and this is teaching best practice. So it's all driven by research. So Costa's levels of questioning. You can just jot these down if you want. Um, It's just a way of asking questions. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, man, I've got, Little guys at home, I've got grade schoolers. I've got high schoolers and babies at home. How do I break Scripture down so that it's accessible to all of them? Okay, so I'm going to model this for you guys. 
so that you can do it on your own. You can do it. You can do it. Level one questions and answers come directly from the text. They're just basic. Define, describe, list, name. Level two, you start to pick it up. Answers are inferred from the text. Compare, contrast, group, infer, synthesize. And then level three, go beyond the text. Apply the ideas and concepts to unique scenarios. Apply, evaluate, hypothesize, predict, connect. Okay? So I'm going to go over a piece of text with you guys. So we've already covered this text, but I want to go over this with you as just a model of how this might look like for family worship. Again, the whole process is 10 to 15 minutes. It's easy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Thank you, Michael. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's five verses. Great way for kids to practice their reading skills and their public speaking. So questions I might ask to my daughter, where does God want us to put his word? What three things does God want us to love him with? Straight from the text. Level two, maybe for the little bit more advanced grade schoolers. When does God want us to think about his commands? How do you know? How much of your life does God want influence in? And if you have high school aged, leave it a little bit more open-ended. Start a conversation with them. Why do you think the passage starts with the word here? How would you rate yourself on doing what God is asking in this passage? Why? Some self-reflection. Does this passage remind you of anything else we've talked about? Again, fairly straightforward. You guys can do it. And here's the real beauty, the real beauty of everything, especially for those of you who have preschoolers and grade schoolers. See these things right here? These are the take-home sheets. These things have chunks of text, Bible stories, and guess what? They also have grade school questions, preschool questions, already prepared. It's almost like we had a teacher put these together. It's awesome. Use the resources that are available to you. Commit to doing it. You will not see this fruit, this seed, come back without fruit. I guarantee you, you will see fruit in your children's lives if you commit to centering your home on worship of Christ consistently and intentionally.